0: Father, thank you that you are a speaking God. And we commend the children again to you. And we pray for ourselves that you'll give us ears to hear. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to keep my tie on. I never know when I go to a church these days whether I have a tie on or a tie off. So I'm a true non-conformist. Everybody's got their tie off, but I keep mine on. So is that okay? I hope so. I'm sure we're all aware of the fact that the Apostle Paul wrote a number of letters when he was in prison in Rome. He just didn't sit there and rot and let the time go by. He made use of his time. He wrote a number of letters when he was there, and they are referred to, of course, by the scholars as the prison epistles the interesting thing is that Paul didn't just see himself in that prison in Rome as a prisoner for the Lord but he saw himself as a prisoner of the Lord and there's a world of a difference and it was because of that relationship with the Lord Jesus that his joy even in prison even in lockdown, knew no bounds. He knew what it was to be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And joy is the recurring note that he strikes in this letter that he writes to the church in Philippi. He didn't take anything for granted. He didn't take God's people in Philippi for granted. He writes to thank them for their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Never took them for granted. Really appreciated them. And they never took him for granted. Wherever he went, they supported him in whatever way they could. By sending him gifts, one kind or another. And on this occasion, as we read earlier, Paul writes to thank them for a gift he has just received from them. And in doing so, he refers to the gift that they had given him as being a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. That's how much he appreciated it. And then he went on to say, listen, if I can paraphrase his words, under God, he said, you have supplied my need. And I want you to know that my God is going to supply your need. All your need. The actual words he used form the text for today that I want to share with you. Verse 19. My God will supply all your need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What a text. My God, he says, and my God will supply all your need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's the text. And we're going to do what the English Puritans in the 17th century said we should always do. We want to let the text do the talking. You haven't come here to listen to me. We've come here to listen to what God has to say. In his Word. Now, I didn't count them, but I know that there are 31,102 verses in the Bible. And here we are this morning, and we're just going to look at one. So we're not taxing ourselves, are we? One verse. To take home with you, to meditate on, to think on, and to pray over. Here it is. And my God will supply, will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. When Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher in the 19th century, was having an orphanage built towards the end of that century in London, he ordered the stonemasons to place upon the stone columns at the orphanage entrance these wonderful words. He had them etched in stone upon the right left hand columns of that great archway into the orphanage that was being built and then he said this as long as God lives we shall never need to remove it. So I want to bring these words as a promise from the word of God to all of us today and I do it in the hope that we'll learn something perhaps old and something perhaps new but something hopefully that is fresh and I bring it with a prayer that we will determine to prove these words are true for as long as we live on planet earth here it is again and my God shall supply will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now don't forget the word and right at the beginning of the text. It's a conjunction, it's tying it to what has just been said before. It's virtually saying to us listen you Christians in Philippi you Christians in Hamilton Mr. Preacher Listen, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be given to you that you need. That's it in a nutshell. You put Jesus first. You put others second. You put yourself last. And you will discover something. You cannot outgive God. He will meet all your needs. So here's the first thing as we look at this text. I want you to notice that there's confidence in this text, in this promise, in this text. Confidence. Confidence in God. It it breathes confidence. I was just thinking... Checking up this morning before I left the house in press and pans. Do you know when Paul wrote to Timothy and said to him that all Scripture is inspired by God? It's the Greek word theopneustos, which means all Scripture is God-breathed, coming from the mouth of God. Here's a text breathing out, as it were, confidence. My God will meet all your needs think about that this is more than a promise to these Christians that they would receive some help or some support now and again to meet some of their needs no no it's not that this is a promise written by Paul but not underwritten by God himself Guaranteeing the meeting of all their needs every day in every situation imaginable. My God will supply all you need. Now, who can begin to calculate or measure what's involved in the meeting or the supplying of all? of one single individual person's needs. Now, of course, as has often been said, it's all of our need, it's not all of our greed, so be careful. And it's all of our needs, not all of our wants, so be careful. And it's in his way and in his time, so be careful. But he will supply all our needs. It's with reference to everything that we will ever need for our spiritual and physical well-being. That's what he's talking about. In accordance with his will for our lives individually, corporately, for as long as we shall live. It's in line with the keeping of body and soul together on this journey from here to eternity. The temporal needs of one solitary individual, you, me, considerable. The need of food, the need of clothes, a roof over our head, our home, our family, education, taking into account the cost of living on a day-by-day basis, and we could go on and on and on and on. And yet, these things are so small, so trivial in comparison to a person's spiritual needs, living in the 21st century, in a country that is turned his back on God the needs of a soul one soul to serve the Lord in today's world the need to feed your own soul in order to have the wherewithal to feed the souls of others the need for wisdom for you and I wherever we are to do the right thing in the right place at the right time the need to persevere to keep going, not just through lockdown, but to keep going in times of trial and tribulation. They need to overcome in times of personal discouragement and fierce temptation. They need to be totally protected, inwardly strengthened, and continually encouraged in our weakest moments and especially as the years pile on. They need to have a vision for the work that God is calling you to do in and through his church and to be moved by compassion and not just by duty in the pursuit of that vision. We're talking about something that's pretty big here. But listen to the words of Paul the Apostle. Listen to them again. Addressed not just to individuals but to the whole church in Philippi. My God will supply all your needs my God now whose God is this one the God of the Apostle Paul of course what what kind of a God is this this is the true and living God this is the God of the whole Bible we're talking about This is the God of creation, this is the God of the church, this is the God of the prophets in the Old Testament, the apostles in the New Testament, this is the God of the covenant, this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, the God of Joseph, the God of Moses, and all that took place at the Exodus, the God of Joshua, and all that happened in the conquest of the Promised Land. This is the God of David, who wrote most of the Psalms. This is the God of Daniel and his three friends in the lion's den, as well as in the fiery furnace. This is a great God. This is a glorious God. This is the God of heaven and earth we're talking about. The God of geography, the God of history, the God of time, the God of eternity. This is a God of mercy and love and grace. The God of redemption, the God of providence The God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The God who gave us his own son. The God who did not spare him in order that he might spare us. This is his God. He didn't spare the world of Noah's day. The children will be hearing about that. We can understand why. Evil in their hearts continually. He didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah. And we can understand why, what went on there. He didn't spare the angels that sinned. And we can understand why. Rebellion in the courts of heaven itself. But when we read he didn't spare his own son in order to deal with our sin. I think we'll be asking the question why for as long as we live not just in time but for all eternity we're talking here about the God who has promised that having given us Christ he will along with him freely, graciously give us all things to grasp the confidence of just stuff our heads with more information even if it's theological information this text is breathing out confidence confidence in God oh to grasp it will supply shall supply this is one of the many exceeding great and precious promises that you find in the Bible not saying he could supply or he should supply or he might supply but he will supply and he will supply all our needs this is not presumption is it to believe something like this this is a promise from God our father and his reputation is at stake in giving it So that's the first thing. What about this text? It's breathing out. God breathing out, underwriting what Paul is writing. Confidence. But there's something else here. There's abundance in this text, in this promise. It breathes abundance. It says, My God will meet all your need. Listen to this. According to his glorious riches. We're thinking here of a God who can fill individuals like you and me to the full by meeting all our needs, all your needs, all my needs. This is a God who can more than match the enormity of our needs with the sufficiency of his grace. This is not bottom of the barrel scraping. This is cups full and running over pictured. You know when Spurgeon was preaching on this text and he reached this thought this is what he said and I quote The preacher may sit down now for he cannot compass this part of the text. He cannot comprehend it. He cannot grasp it. He cannot fully explain it, never mind expound it. What does it mean? My God, the only God there is. The God who gives us every breath we breathe. The God who saved us when our lives were in a mess. My God, he will meet, he shall supply all you need and he'll do it how will he do it? According to his glorious riches now I'm sure we're all familiar with the story of the wee widow woman in the Old Testament whose children were about to be sold by her creditor to pay off the debts of her late husband who had been a prophet of the Lord she had nothing to call her own except a small jar of oil in her house, remember. Crews of oil. And the prophet Elisha, go among your neighbors, borrow empty vessels, don't ask for just a few, then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons, pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. And we all know the story. kept on bringing the jars she kept on pouring the oil into the jars until all the jars are filled and it was only when there were no more jars left that the oil stopped to flow and she went and sold the oil, paid her debts and all her needs were met not the sort of way she thought her needs would be met but the sovereign God met all her needs that way—it's a picture of the way God works, isn't it? He's got a bigger shovel than you or me, and we can never outgive Him. Now, be careful. This promise to meet all our needs is nothing to do with the health, wealth, and prosperity guys. Nothing whatsoever. And this promise to meet all their needs is not a license to encourage laziness in your part or mine. We're not to be spongers or scroungers living off the backs of gullible people, ever. We're to play our part. We're to give the equivalent of these empty jars, that tiny cruise of oil. In other words, we're to give them what we've got and then he will give us what we haven't got. And we'll find that he always gives in abundance. We by his grace must do what we can do and give what we can give and let him do what only he can do and give what only he can give. Now you know and I know for God to give out of his glorious riches is quite different from God giving according to his glorious riches, isn't it? When God gives, it's not only out of his wealth. It's on a scale as befits his wealth. It's in proportion to his infinite resources. Explain, John. Okay. If a millionaire were to give you out of his wealth, he might not give you any more than a five-pound note. And keep the rest for himself. But he's giving it to you out of his wealth. But if he were to give you according to his wealth, then he's likely to give you 500 pounds, 5,000 pounds, maybe even as much as 50,000, and he wouldn't miss it. We all need to be reminded of the fact that the God of omnipotence has his servants everywhere. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the wealth in every mine. And it's as the old hymn puts it He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase; to added affliction he addeth his mercy; to multiplied trials his multiplied peace. And when we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving His own may be gone. And the chorus, oh, "His love has no limit." His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto man. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Question. True or false? Is this true or false? It's true. But the question I'm putting to you and to my own heart this day is this. Are we proving it to be true? You know when each and every one of us reaches the end of the journey of life and we finish the race God has marked out for us I have no doubt that if the question is put to any of us the same question Jesus put to his disciples of long ago our answer will surely want to be the same as theirs. Luke 22 Jesus asked his disciples When I sent you, without purse, bag, or sandals, did you like anything? Nothing, he answered. The meeting of all our needs, according to his glorious riches. Here's the last thing. Just three words out of one text. And there's over 21,000 of them in the Bible. Just three words. It's breathing out confidence. Confidence in God. We need to pray and trust him. He's able. He's breathing out abundance. He wants to meet whatever our needs may be. And they can be pretty painful at times. And the tears running down our cheeks at times. But he's promised he'll meet all our needs. And here's the last thing. This text is breathing out relevance. Well, I know it was written 2,000 years ago, and some people will be very quick to say, not in the church, I hope, but people out say oh, man, Bible years. It's written 2,000 years ago, and some of it even away beyond that. Listen to it again. And it's connected to what went before. You've done so much for me, says, but my God, he'll meet, he'll supply all your needs now according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Some translations, by Christ Jesus. If it's by Christ Jesus in your Bible, it's suggesting that He is the channel, Jesus is the channel through which all this supplying of our need comes. It comes by Him, it comes through Him. And there's truth in that. But some scholars would want to assure us that the word in is a good translation here. In Christ Jesus. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ is the source, He's not just the channel of the supply he's the source in other words we shall see every need met in him it's not just to be received from him or through him or by him it's found in him and that's why after 30 years or so on the road as someone who who knew him as his great God and saviour The Apostle Paul, remember? Damascus Road. 30 years have gone since then. And he he writes in this very letter in the third chapter, Oh, that I might know him. But hang on a wee minute, Paul. You've known him for 30 years. And you probably know him better than anybody else on the planet. Oh yes, that may or may not be true. But oh, that I might know him. This is not out of date. This is so relevant. It would have become obsolete long ago if it had been written in any other name other than the name of Jesus Christ. So the reason for saying this is rather simple, but I'll say it to you anyhow. All his contemporaries have died. Paul's contemporaries. They've all gone. They are no more as far as this world is concerned. Only Jesus remains. We were singing about it. The Herods have gone. They can't help you. The Romans have gone. They can't help you either. Yes, and the apostles have all gone, including the Apostle Paul. Everybody comes and goes. We're not here to stay. We're all here to go. John Calvin has gone, the genius of Geneva. He's gone. John Wesley has gone. John Owen has gone. And if you come from a brethren background, JND has gone. John Nelson Darby. Only Jesus remains. With the passing of the generations. Only Jesus is alive forevermore. Only his name endures forever. Only the name of Jesus opens the bank of heaven to the checkbook of faith. Or is it now the debit card of faith? all the others, no matter how great they were in their day, they have all had their day and can do nothing for us today. They have all gone to another place and many of them, the ones I'm mentioning here, to a better place and the place that knew them here knows them no more. Even the greatest of the saints have gone. And um, allow me to say this, it's sheer nonsense not to say heresy, to think that we can somehow tap into some reservoir of grace to be found in the saints in heaven only the church of Rome at her worst could have thought up such a heresy works of supererogation, they call it you can speak to the saints and they will meet your need no they won't but Jesus will don't misunderstand me, we can learn so much from the saints of old by way of example and from their writings in the words of Alistair McGrath in his beautiful little book called The Journey we can hitch a ride with some of these great saints from the past who've travelled the road ahead of us and be greatly blessed think of it from time to time it can be our privilege To hitch a ride with Martin Luther. To hitch a ride with the great Augustine. To hitch a ride with Jonathan Edwards or John Bunyan. We can learn a lot about the living of the Christian life as we travel in their company by way of their biographies and their autobiographies but only the risen Lord Jesus Christ remains. And therefore this text is relevant and more than sufficient to meet the needs of his people. In him and by faith in him are all the resources of God. It's a wonderful promise. It meant a lot to me during lockdown. Breathes out confidence in God. Breathes out abundance, breathes out relevance. It's as relevant today as it was the day it was written by the Apostle Paul and underwritten by the Holy Spirit. And it's written for every Christian and for every Christian church. That little phrase, the glorious riches in Christ Jesus can also be interpreted or put in these words his riches in glory and it reminds us that one day we will be with him forever and we'll have all eternity to explore what this truth of his riches in glory really means in all its fullness but as his blood-bought people we have this indescribable privilege today as well as this indescribable hope for the future oh yes we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good But as Paul tells us elsewhere, but no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. He's revealed some of these things to us by his spirit, at least to some degree in the here and now. But like the Queen of Sheba, when she went up to speak to King Solomon, what did she say? The half has not been told me. thinking of driving the car down there along the M8 in him Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead think of that in him are all the riches of wisdom and knowledge all the treasures in him are all the spiritual blessings. Lenin, Vladimir Lenin, the communist, was absolutely right when he said, religion is the opium of the masses. It puts people to sleep. But Jesus is alive. We know him. He wants us to know him more he wants us to prove this text we've all got needs brothers and sisters but he's promised to meet all our needs according to his riches and glory I'll leave that with you